Integrated Science of the Absolute Preliminaries, Chapter 30, The Plan of This Work. No science can give full certitude without a normative reference properly belonging to it. In our preliminary remarks, our aim was to convince the modern scientifically minded person that the integration of all physical and metaphysical disciplines can be accomplished through the principle of the absolute as a norm. The absolute is not an empty word, nor a mere mathematical abstraction. Within an axiomatic status, where the a priori normally resides, it has to have a concrete universal content if it is to be fully scientific in both an outer experimental or operational sense as well as in an intuitive one based on inner experience of the bold and correct speculation which is found in the context of the perennial wisdom of both the East and the West. To give this normative notion a content, we have labored in the foregoing sections by exploring possibilities in the domains of modern knowledge, including even the world of machines. We hope we have more or less succeeded in convincing the reader of a certain structuralism found acceptable even to the latest modern thinkers. Structuralism helps us to establish a link between disciplines seeming to differ radically. It also helps to find a means of integrating at least for purposes of easy communicability, whether for comparison or contrast, a propose aspects of truth value within each of the major disciplines. Even within the scope or amplitude of any individual discipline, structuralism comes in handy in the matter of bringing all diverse factors into a unified whole for both integration as well as its critical analysis. It is not irrelevant, therefore, for Bergson to refer to such an instrument as being full of potent possibilities for human beings forever. He means to say, in other words, that when structuralism is correctly understood, it can have a fully absolutist status, yielding a frame of reference or a basic form of thought around which a veritable science of sciences can be built. Because of the importance of clarifying the implications of such a normative schematic structuralism to give a fully scientific status to our own work, we have indulged in this rather long drawn out introduction, which we hope the reader will pardon. It now remains for us to let the reader peep behind the curtain as it were, so as to reveal to him an advanced view of the plan of this work in reconstructing both from the modern materials available in the West and from the rich treasures forming the heritage of the wisdom of the East, we hope to bring them together unitively and integrally, yielding at least for our present purposes, although perhaps not finally, a science of the absolute. We have necessarily to approach the subject, as it were, from two opposing poles of the total situation. In the Vedanta of India, with its textbook such as the Bhagavad Gita and the large body of literature called the Upanishads, we have already stated that these books claim to be a science of the Absolute called Brahmavidya. It is a mistake commonly made to treat this part of wisdom literature 
as belonging to Hindu religion. By its dynamic and open outlook, such literature refuses to be fitted into any orthodox context of a closed and static religious setup. Be this as it may, we on our part are going to look upon this body of Vedantic literature as a Shastra or science. Such a status can be claimed for this literature and clearly proves itself from the colophon found at the end of each chapter in the Bhagavad Gita. In our own commentary on this book, we have tried to justify this claim made by the ancient authors themselves. When we think of the West, similar absolutist wisdom exists, even in the context of what people like Burton Russell have begun to call the wisdom of the West. Because of the divorce of philosophy and religion due to tragic historical circumstances, such wisdom is less evident because of its compact compartmentalization. The science, metaphysics and theology took different paths and the elements of absolutist wisdom were distributed within these three domains. They must all be gathered together before the main currents of what is known already as perennial philosophy can be harmoniously thought of. Included in this will be the great contributions of both Christian and non-Christian mysticism. Science itself in its most modern developments tends to support wholesale wisdom rather than piecemeal trial and error methods annexing small territories of truth into its body. Science is undergoing a drastic epistemological and methodological revision. It is tending to include in its corporate body branches of knowledge like ethics and aesthetics, which depend upon judgments of value. In doing this, it is possible for science to attain to the status of a body of literature to be included alongside the wisdom literature of the world. When this is done, we will have a complete science of the absolute. Such a science will have an epistemology, methodology and axiology of its own, treating of existential, subsistential and value factors at once. The question of skepticism or belief will not arise at all when unified science becomes fully normalized. As against this kind of condensation on the part of the West of a large body of scientific knowledge into an integrated whole, we have had in India a complementary tendency in which apparently diffuse or subtle speculation had been put in correct though somewhat crypto-crystalline form. The authors of the various sutras, aphoristic strings or threads, belonging to the six main darshanas, visions of truth in the absolutist context, are seen to be fully conscious of the structural implications of the totality of what each had to say. The mystical language of the Vedas and Upanishads also contains crypto-crystalline elements of a proto-linguistic order, which enables them to be treated in a precise way, whether by the original founders of schools of philosophy or by their later evaluators. One is able to discern in the vast body of literature belonging to the study of the notion of the absolute, elements which definitely give scientific form and precision to what they wanted vaguely at first to formulate. In the light of the structuralism examined in our foregoing sections, it will not be wrong for us to assume that this particular synthetic and a priori approach 
implied in Vedantic wisdom confers on it a fully valid scientific character. If mathematics can be considered a science in which one aspect of it brings certitude to the other aspect, as it does as we have pointed out in the example of the Pythagorean theorem, it would not be considered far-fetched to think that the same kind of certitude found in Vedanta, where the a priori and the a posteriori go hand in hand, can give the same kind of resultant certitude. This must be sufficiently clear from what we have said already. Thus it is safe to assume that in Vedanta we do have before us for guidance a science of the absolute, although sometimes presented in a rather amorphous or crypto-crystalline form. <laughs>